This is a Rooster Teeth production. July 17, 2007, TAM Airlines Flight 3054, an Airbus A320 with 187 people on board, is landing at Sao Paulo's Congonhas Airport after a short flight from Porto Alegre, Brazil. The weather is poor with heavy rains drenching the area and the crew is told they will be landing on runway 35 left, an infamous runway with a history of incidents due to the degree of difficulty involved in landing on it. To make matters worse, only one thrust reverser is working on the plane. So the pilot knows he must touch down as quickly as possible and engage the one working thrust reverser and the brakes in order to slow the plane down in time. The plane touches down, however, on the rollout, the crew loses control and the plane exits the runway to the left and collides with a gas station and a building and immediately is engulfed in flames. All 187 people on board and 12 people on the ground are killed in the crash and subsequent fire. A sprawling investigation yields a 13,600-page report and criminal charges against three people. What happened to cause this crash? Is it safe for a plane to land with only one working thrust reverser? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. I am here. This one sounds juicy. It's juicy. Huge, super big investigation. This is a long, <laughs> this might, I don't know, we're, you know, we're just starting the recording. This might be a long episode. There are a lot of findings. Uh, All right. <laughs> I'm buckled in. <laughs> yeah, so buckle in. There's, there's going to be a lot to get through here. Before we dive into that, of course, as always, please give us a follow on social media at Black Box Down Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'll post, we post images and supplemental things that are maybe kind of hard to imagine. You can look at, look and look at it. See a picture for yourself. Yeah. I thought there was something interesting. We posted a couple of pictures recently. One of me and you uh, in the plane that you were flying. You flew it a little while too. Yeah. I wouldn't say I flew the plane. <laughs> I, I held... You held the I, controls I was, for a little bit. Yeah. I held the controls for 30 seconds. And then another one of... Uh, of uh, showing off some of our merch and i thought it was funny because people were like is this gus or chris and I, uh, it's always funny <laughs> to me uh figure it out so much video content um yeah that to only hear our voices so thank you for listening to us if you've yeah. never seen any of our other stuff appreciate it yeah all right so uh let's dig into this like i said this uh there's a lot to get through here yeah so flight 3054 departed from porto alegre at about 518 p.m. Brazil Standard Time, which is 8.18 p.m. Universal Time. We're going to switch to in this episode to just using Universal Time. I'm just letting you know it's a three-hour difference, so be ready. And they were clear to and climbed up to flight level 340, which is 34,000 feet. And like I said earlier, this plane was a twin turbofan Airbus A320. Pretty standard plane. You know, you've probably flown. And anybody who like flies has probably been on a plane like this. The A320 and 737 are very similar. Uh, workhorses of most uh, airlines. The flight crew consisted of two captains rather than a captain and a first officer. It was Captain Henriquez Stefani Di Sacco, who was 53 years old, and Captain Kleber Aguiar Lima, who was 54 years old. This happens sometimes just through scheduling. Sometimes there's two captains instead of a captain and first officer. And, you know, normally when, uh, you know, they meet up and they get in, you know, to, to, to make the flight, they'll say, you know, they'll divide up their duties and be like, you're in charge or you're in charge and you're going to do this, you're going to do that. You know, crew resource management stuff. Yeah. There were also four flight attendants and an additional 13 airline employees who were deadheading. They're just riding to get to wherever they need to be for their next job assignment, basically. We've talked about that as well before. So the Congonias Airport is located in the heart of the city, surrounded by residential buildings, offices, and busy streets. 
At the time of the accident, it was the busiest Brazilian airports with flights landing about every 90 seconds. Whoa, that is fast. That is busy. Also in the middle of the city? Yeah, it, and it was a challenging airport. Uh, there's buildings all around in the middle of the city. And the runway is kind of like on a little plateau, like a little table. So you have to come in, land. It's not, it's not a super short runway, but it's not a, like a big runway by any stretch of the imagination. So it was a challenge. You, know, you had to really be on top of it if you were coming in to land here. And then on top of that, the hours of operation were usually restricted to be between 6 a.m. and 11 p.m. Because again, it's in the middle of the city. <laughs> you know, yeah. They can't have people landing every 90 seconds uh, overnight. I think even 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., that's, that's a lot of operation. It's only seven hours of downtime at night. Yeah. So when they were on approach, Flight 3054 was warned by air traffic control that heavy rain had shut down runway 35 left and they would need to divert. But when they were south of Sao Paulo at about 9.03 p.m. universal time, air traffic control informed them that Congonias had resumed normal operation and they received clearance to land on this challenging runway. And like I mentioned, they had a malfunctioning right thrust reverser. So that meant that they would have less stopping power than usual. So this was making what is already a challenging landing even more challenging. Yeah, and they're okay. They just are allowed to work with only one thruster. That's okay. Yeah, it's a uh, it it's allowed. Yeah, it's okay. They just have to you know, of course there's procedures to follow and you know, certain specific ways that you have to approach this. The other thing you might not be thinking of at this point also is if it's been raining, that means the runway's wet, which means yeah, the it's braking, slippery. Yeah, the braking's not going to be as effective. Okay, and the thrusters, they basically take the air that's normally coming out of the engine and shoot it the opposite direction so they slow down. Right, it redirects it, correct. Or Yeah, redirects it. And then, so since only one of them was working, does it veer that direction some? You know what yeah, I mean? Like, you are correct. Okay. Because the, so in this case, the left thrust reverser was working and the right thrust reverser was not. So they're going to veer to the left a bit unless, you know, they counteract it uh, yeah. somehow, either with braking or figure out some way to, to deal with it. Okay. And remember which way they went off the runway? <gasps> Did they go to the left? They went to the left. Ah. <laughs> so you, you're already starting to, to put this stuff together. And when I mentioned that the braking was affected, that's like mm -hmm. the brakes in the wheels, in the tires, you know, um, like what you would think of in car yeah. brakes. Now that's, you know, on top of the thrust reverser, only one of them working. So when they touched down, the aircraft failed to decelerate and pulled uncontrollably to the left and veered off the runway into a busy roadway that resulted in a fiery wreck right on that roadway. Surveillance footage indicated the aircraft was traveling three times faster than other Airbus A320s had successfully landed on the same runway. They had, you know, surveillance cameras and, you know, they, would, they looked at it as, during the investigation. And when, you know, an A320 landed before them, they, they just, you know, looked at the time on it. Like, all right, it took nine seconds for the plane to go, you know, from right to left across the security footage. Then when this plane, they looked at security footage, it only took three seconds to get across the screen. Oh. It's like, oh, it's going three times faster. And that, that's when they touched down? Yeah, that was on the ground. So when they touched down, they were already going that much faster than they should? Yeah, they were going three times faster than what would have been expected. With a missing thruster in the rain. Yeah, I just want to be clear. I'm missing a, a malfunctioning thrust reverser. So Yeah, yeah. sorry. So yeah, they are going really fast. So something's wrong. They're, you know, normally you touch down, you need to be decelerating. Especially, like I said, this is a shorter runway. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, a wet surface, really have to wonder what's going on here. Yeah. 
and the aircraft was completely destroyed as a result of the impact and the fire, which lasted for many hours. Yeah, they hit a gas. They hit a gas. Station. Yeah, they hit a gas station. You know, people who were just filling up with gas uh, oh, were, no. were killed as a result of this, uh, just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Twelve people. I, I said that earlier. Twelve people on the ground died. They hit, not only did they hit a gas station, they hit an administrative building for their for this airline for Tam oh, Airways. No, really, really awful. That yeah, that is a lot. Of, because I was about to say, it's like that's a lot. That's a big gas station. There are twelve people in it, but yeah, it's also hit also a building. an office building. Yeah. yeah. Despite this catastrophic wreckage and fire, the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder were recovered. That's why they're fireproof. Yeah, it was actually. They were worried about it. The fire was so intense and lasted for so long. The investigators were worried if the black boxes were going to be able to survive it. And it was, it was, you know, they're only rated to sustain or to last a certain amount of time under oh. a certain amount of heat. And they, they were really pushing it. But it did, they were able to successfully uh, recover it. So uh, the investigation was carried out by CENIPA, which is the Aeronautical Accident Investigation Prevention Center. It's the Brazilian version of the NTSB. So if you hear me talking about CENIPA, that's who it is. And, and they write that the approach to runway 35 left of Congonias occurred uneventfully. The aircraft was operating with the number two engine reverser deactivated. The runway was wet and slippery, according to information provided by the tower to the crew. And after touchdown, which occurred at 1854 local time, which is 2154 universal time, 954 p.m. universal time, the aircraft did not slow down as expected. The aircraft veered to the left, overran the left edge of the runway near the departure end, crossed over Washington Lewis Avenue and hit a fuel service station and the air cargo service building of the very operator. Like I said, they hit a gas station and an office building for the airline. Is the gas station, is just like a public gas station or is it like an airport gas station? No, it was like a public gas station. It was, yeah, it was off the airport property. All right. You know, you know how it is. Lots of times at airports, there's gas stations like right there, I guess for people who are returning rental cars or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All persons on board, six active crew members, and 181 passengers perished. The crash also caused 12 fatalities on the ground among the people that were in the building and the surrounding area. So the day, so we're going to rewind a little bit here, Chris. There it is. Uh, The day before the crash, four pilots who landed at the airport reported poor braking, including a TAM pilot who managed to stop his aircraft just a few meters before the end of the runway. Oh. Yeah. Between 12.25 p.m. and 12.28 p.m., and Frero, who, uh, that's the company that manages this airport, uh-huh. uh, suspended operations at the airport to examine the runway conditions. And they cleared it after reporting no puddles and water slides. At 12.42 local time, that same day, this is the day before our accident we're talking about, Pantanal Linas Arias Flight 4763, an ATR-42, hydroplaned after touching down on runway 17 right. 17 right is the same runway, just in the other direction. Yeah. The aircraft veered to the left, struck a concrete box and small light pole, and entered the grass between the runway and taxiway. All 25 people aboard survived with no injuries, but the aircraft was damaged beyond repair and written off. So a plane got totaled. The day before. <laughs> because it hydroplaned after four pilots separately reported bad landing conditions. And they're like, I think it's good. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, and yeah, and it, even though this incident happened, Landings continue to be carried out like normal at the airport. And what did you? How many a day did you say? Like every sixty seconds or every something? ninety seconds. Every ninety landing. seconds. Yeah. So the day before, people are reporting that it's tough to break and stop on this runway. One plane barely manages to do it before running out of runway. Uh, one plane slides off the runway, uh, and they're like, "Yeah, it's fine." They go out and inspect it. They 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 take 
three minutes to <laughs> they suspend operations for three minutes to inspect the runway and they're like yeah it's fine don't worry about it that's like <laughs> like pause landings let's pause two landings <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's an interesting way to think about it uh, but oh it, it got it just have you ever seen one of those videos of there's a video of someone set up a camera at an icy hill and it was just car after car sliding I've seen that. Yeah. In, into a ditch. It sounds like that. Yeah, it, it totally sounds like that. Except it's planes with yeah. hundreds of people and they're getting destroyed. So I'm going to rewind a little more now. Going to make a rewind noise, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so back starting from January 2006 and throughout the year, several NOTAMs. So NOTAMs are... Like alerts, bulletins. You can think of them that way. Mm-hmm. They used to stand for notice to airmen. Uh, now they they changed it. It's notice to air missions. So starting from January 2006, several NOTAMs were issued warning about the characteristics of rugosity. I learned a couple of words uh, <laughs> doing this episode, Chris. Do you know what rugosity means? I don't even know how to say that right. I'm going to just take a guess. Like it's too slippery. Yeah, in a way. Rugosity, I, 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 like I said, I had to look this up. It's the quality or state of being full of wrinkles or to an individual wrinkled place. Mm, so <laughs> that's a, that's a, that is a that is a SAT word for you. I got another one for you later. I think so. <laughs> this this is a Brazilian accident. I think since the report was originally written in Portuguese, I think there are translations of words that are probably common in Portuguese that are not common in English, mm. and this was one of them. So rugosity. So there were anyway there were notums. Warning about the characteristics of rugosity and low friction coefficients of the Congonia's main runway, as well as slippery conditions when wet. So they knew when it's wet, it's slippery. Mm -hmm. It's wrinkly and it's, or it's not wrinkly. It's not wrinkly. Correct. Oh, it's too smooth. It needs needs some rugosity. Right. It's just like if you think about the tires on your car. Yeah, treads. Right. Because when you go over water, you want the water to be able to channel through. You know, yeah. you want to be able to still reach the ground. And 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 also you want it to like, that's why roads like have a little bit of an incline towards the center so that the water travels off the road and doesn't pool. Right. And also roads are not like a perfectly smooth surface. They have like some grip to them or gravel or yeah. something. They got some rugosity. <laughs> Chris, you ready for your SAT? God, I hope they have rugosity on. <laughs> I'll give Like I said, I've got another word coming up in a couple of paragraphs right. here. So a year after that, on January 29th, 2007, the replacement of the NOTAM alerting the, of a slippery runway was issued, and this time the warning of a possibility of water film buildup as a result of rain precipitation. So they kind of update the NOTAM to make it a little worse. And this alert was in force until May 16th, 2007. And there were no issues during this time, just the notices? So no, at this time, there were not any incidents that had happened. They were just aware that there were potential problems. But as far as I know, as far as I had seen, there were no incidents during this time. Okay. So due to delays and flight cancellations caused by rain in early 2007, and Frero, remember the company that manages the airport, they decided to resurface the asphalt on the airport's main runway. And they were going to put channeling grooves to reduce the risk of hydroplaning. It's kind of like what we talked about with roads a little while ago. They were like, you know, we have a problem with rain buildup. Let's resurface it and let's put grooves in to help the water run off so that it doesn't pool up. So that sounds all good. Right. That's, right? What, that's what should happen. Got some issues, got some notices. Hey, let's fix it. So on account of the great importance of this airport 
to you know regular transport in Brazil. Like I said, it was the busiest airport at the time. During the time the repair work was in progress, changes were made to the airport operation schedule in order to minimize the impact of the necessary runway uh, interdiction. So, uh-huh. you know, they're they're going to need to do some construction. They need to change the schedule a little bit because they need you know <laughs> they need to be able to get crews out there to work on it. But they still need to be landing planes. Yeah. The repair work of the main runway started May 14th, and the runway was reopened for operations on June 29th. So, what is that, like six weeks, more or less? That's pretty good. I don't yeah, know. pretty good. I don't repair airports, but yeah. What do you think about, like, road construction, right? How, how long does that stuff take? You yeah, see that I just assume it always takes, like, three years. <laughs> right, especially here in Austin, right? However, when they reopened the runway on June 29th, it did not have the grooving that was prescribed in the respective scope of the project. Like, as in it wasn't done or they just didn't do it? They had not done it. They were planning on doing it later. Like, they oh. wanted to reopen. They were kind of in a rush. They needed to reopen the runway. They reopened it. They're like, we'll finish the grooving in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. Wait, so how, how do you finish the grooving and then reopen? Like They just resurfaced the runway. Remember, that was part of the project uh-huh. as well. They resurfaced it, but then they, they didn't put they didn't the grooves in. They didn't texture it. Right. Yeah. They didn't, rugo- they didn't rugos it. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't wrinkle that. <laughs> they didn't wrinkle, wrinkle that runway that thing up. up. Right. And there was not any special airport inspection done during the repair work on that runway. They just like real they were like, "All right, we're done. Let's reopen it." <laughs> oh. The operational plan of works and service did not establish the inspecting procedures to be performed upon completion of the work or service regarding the operational safety conditions or the area affected. So consequently, no inspection of the main runway was made by either Infrero or the uh, governing body to formally attest to its operational condition after the completion of the work so that the runway could be open for operation. So it's like the contractor came in, did work, and the people were like, all right, it's fine. We trust you. It's done. It's like if you- But I'm not done yet. It's okay. Finish it later. Yeah. It's like if you had someone doing repairs or work on your car or your house- and you didn't look at it when they were done. You're just like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. You yeah. know, nor- normally, you know, if someone, like, let's say you have a backed up toilet or something and you call a plumber, you, when they're done, you go and you're like, you flush the toilet yourself. Like, yep, <laughs> it works now. You know, you're not just like, all right, here's the money. Thank well, you. Also, wait, so whoever's in charge of it, were they aware that the construction crew only did half the job? Was that like the plan? Yes. Okay. I'm actually going to get to that here in just a bit. But yeah, that, that was that was known. They're like, yeah, yeah, come back, finish it later. So after this work on the main runway, neither the homologation, homologation, you know that word? <laughs> that's, that's No, the other I, thought word. That was, I thought that was a, a, some company or the, like the organization. It's the granting of approval by an official authority. Homologation. 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 So after the work, neither the granting of an approval by an official authority nor the certification uh, was made since according to the understanding of Infrero, there had not been an alteration of the physical characteristic of the runway. So the return to operation of the main runway occurred on account of the expiration of that notum I had talked about, which was the last one to inform about the work. So basically, they thought... The, the way that the rules were interpreted by Infrero was that since there had not been alteration of the physical characteristic of the runway, they did not need to do an inspection. So they just let the notum expire and let the runway reopen. Wait, wait, wait. Because they didn't finish it? So there's very specific documents and uh-huh. rules for all of this stuff. And according to their interpretation of the rules, there had not been an alteration of the physical characteristics of the runway. How? They re... Uh, uh, 
I don't, I don't know the specific rules for Brazilian aviation. I, I Actually, I don't even know the specific rules for American aviation for what characterizes altering the physical characteristics of a runway. I would assume it's not like the surface type changed. It didn't go from asphalt to concrete or something like that. Or they didn't change the direction of the runway. It didn't go from 3.5 to 3.4 or something like that. Okay, so this was, I guess, classified more as a, like... A repair rather than like a change. Right. I guess if that's the way I interpret this. Yeah, but I still feel like if you do a repair, they should have. Right. It's, it's, it's common sense. Even that they're, they're like, well, the rules say we don't have to. Like, still go look at it. Yeah. Rules also say dogs can't play basketball. But... <laughs> and that's how you end up with an airbud. Yeah. Also, it, it's a runway. You resurface the runway. That's like, what else is there of the runway other than? The surface? That. Yeah, <laughs> well, the surface. There's actually a lot that goes into it. Under it, like how much weight it can support, arresting yeah, but, systems. And, but yeah, I, you, you would think that that's, that's one of the important parts for the planes land to take off from. It's the new year, and for a lot of us, that means it's time for some resolutions. Maybe you want to save money, travel more, or maybe you want to eat more balanced meals. Well, now is the perfect time to try out Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Green Chef has options for every lifestyle, uh, like keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, and gluten-free options. Uh, I just got a box the other day. It was all awesome stuff I really wanted to eat. Personally, I opted for the uh, vegetarian box, and I had three great options all laid out for me. I loved all three of them. Super excited to get the opportunity to make them and enjoy them. It's all super delicious food. Whatever kind of food you want or whatever option you choose for your lifestyle, I guarantee it's going to be great. In case you didn't know, Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh with a wider array of meal plans to choose from. There really is something for everyone. Plus, as an added bonus, Green Chef is the only meal kit that offsets 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of their plastic in every box. When you use Green Chef, you're reducing your food waste by up to 38% versus grocery shopping. In 2023, help yourself to delicious, convenient recipes that support your healthy lifestyle and taste good too. Eat well in the new year without sacrificing taste. Go to greenchef.com slash blackboxdown60 and use code blackboxdown60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F dot com slash blackboxdown60 with code blackboxdown60 for 60% off and free shipping. So like we said before, channeling grooves were planned to reduce the risk of hydroplaning and all of the work except for the channel grooves were completed on June 29th. Infrero stated that applying them would take another 30 days. While the Congonius runway was under renovation, there was a it was an aviation crisis in Brazil going on, which kind of complicated things. Everyone was kind of distracted dealing with this aviation crisis. So the runway was reopened despite the fact they hadn't finished the channel grooves. Can you elaborate on aviation crisis? Yeah, I think we kind of talked about this. We kind of touched on it in past episodes. So in that time, between about 2006 and 2007, there were significant flight delays and cancellations because of air traffic controller strikes and safety concerns about air traffic in Brazil and the infrastructure that supports it. And this all kind of started after the crash of Gulf Flight 1907, which is an incident that we covered before. It's when the two planes hit each other in midair over Brazil. That's the one where the plane was flying at the wrong altitude in the direction. And uh, the other one was a new Embraer Uh that they had just taken um, delivery of. And uh, they collided. We have, an, we have a, an aviation explanation. We have an animated episode about that, I believe. Anyway, that kind of that incident kind of kicked off a this, series of... The strikes and, and, and people being concerned about safety. Right. 
so that's all kind of the backdrop that's happening uh, at the same time that this is going on. So <laughs> it's just it's just so ironic. They're like, oh, man, there's this people are really we're having all this issues because people are concerned about safety. Uh, we're just not going to have time to finish this. They were distracted. You could say that, right? Like yeah. there's other stuff going on that they're dealing with as well. And it's like it's ironic, not, though, that they were. <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to be for safety, right? Yeah, they're distracted about people being concerned about safety, so they neglect the safety. Mm-hmm. So among the relevant pieces of information that were discovered on the cockpit voice recorder, there were some that were highlighted in the report. Before landing, there was a certain concern on the part of the captain with the condition of the runway because of the rain. The pilots were aware that engine number two had an inoperative reverser, and the second-in-command verified there was no deflection of the ground spoilers. So, you know, they the pilots were a little concerned about it. You know, they knew... They were going to have some braking issues, and their reverser was not operational. Oh wait, so we're back in. Yeah, back on back on this incident, back on thirty fifty four. The cockpit voice recorder revealed that the uh, retard auto callout sounded even when the left lever, the left throttle lever, was moved to the idle position when the airplane was crossing ten feet on the approach for landing. It was also observed that when one of the levers was placed in REV or reverse, and the other one was in CL. I'll explain that in a second. The retard auto callout was deactivated by the system. So let me read one more little bit here. In accordance with the A320 design, the purpose of the retard auto callout is to remind the pilots who are flying with auto thrust engaged that both levers must be placed in the idle position. So what that's telling, when they hear that, when the investigators hear this on the CVR, they know that both throttle levers are not in the idle position because the purpose of that callout is to remind the pilots move the throttle levers to idle. And like I said here, they observed that one of the levers was placed in reverse and the other one was in CL, which is like climb, climb power. And why? That's the big question. They don't know. Was it a malfunction? Did the throttle lever not work or did they not put both back or was one pushed forward and one pushed back? Why is that? You know, that, uh, if that's the case, that's why the plane veered off to the left. Was that, could that be because one of the... Because one of the reverse thrusters wasn't working, they were doing that to, comp- I don't know, because of that? Like, is it accidentally compensating incorrectly? Mm, not necessarily, because what they discover is the left throttle, remember, each engine has a separate throttle lever. Yeah. They're right next to each other. They, they may look like they're one, but there's two separate ones. The left throttle lever is put all the way down to idle and then put into reverse to activate the thrust reverser mm-hmm. but the right engine is all the way forward it's like okay they, so they, they were flooring it you know on the right yeah. engine. oh so that's gonna make them turn even more correct okay so i, I guess in my head and, and this is my poor understanding of reverse thrusters was initially like oh when the reverse thruster is engaged maybe it like the thruster is fully engaged but it's like reversing you know so it's like it's like instead of it being okay so i'm gonna think of a way to describe this auditorily uh if there's a auditorily i don't think that's an sat word dang it well you know i'll say this my brain's got a lot of rugosity (laughs) (laughs) but it (laughs) okay so yeah it's it's not a if there's a zero to 100 for full speed and then a, a zero to negative 100 versus a zero to 100, and then a clicky that reverses it. Does that make sense? I see what you're saying. So, okay, so this is the time for me to, to put the asterisk on this podcast. I have never flown a jet. <laughs> I'm not an airline pilot. I've never been in the cockpit of an A320, so I, don't, I can't answer that for certain. But from my understanding, 
what you normally are supposed to do is you pull your throttle levels levers back and then you activate the thrust reverse. It's like an extra step you do to pull it down. I don't think there's additional thrust you apply to that. You just turn the thrust reverser on. Okay. Does that is that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. And 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 it also clarifies that you don't like if you're doing the thrust reverser, you don't click the reverser and then gun it like you Correct. would normally. Yeah. Correct. Another important note that I'm gonna make right here is that when coming in, I, I kind of said a lot in there when I was when I was reading all that stuff about reverse and climb level and the callouts. When coming in, you know, they had the auto throttle on which is, you know, handling the throttles. And then when they uh-huh. are, you know, getting ready to land, that's when the captain takes control of the throttles himself and puts it down into idle and activates the thrust reverser, right? Yeah. That's what deactivates the auto throttle. On the Airbus in, 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 at the time in this kind of plane, when the auto throttle's activated, it doesn't move the throttles. Like if you think about when you're driving your car, right? And let's say you have cruise control on to go yeah. 50 miles an hour. If you get to a hill, like a steep hill, and your car you know, needs more gas, your pedal goes down in yeah, cruise control. Yeah, it pushes automatically. So this, when it's on auto, it doesn't... It doesn't move at all. It's purely... Uh, uh, what is that? Because uh, there's a mechanical where it's like a one-to-one where it's like you're actually moving the steering and it's like on pulleys versus like... Like a fly-by-wire system. Fly-by-wire, yeah. That's the word, words I was looking for. Yeah, this is a fly-by-wire. So... Once they activate the auto throttle, um, the throttle levers don't move. So what you can kind of infer at this point then is that when they came into, well, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, but what you can kind of infer with this knowledge is that there's two possibilities here. Mm -hmm. Either the linkage that connects the throttle to the fly-by-wire system broke Uh and one throttle was stuck, you know, at maximum thrust or they only pulled one throttle back and left the other one forward because presumably when they activate auto throttle, that's the position it was in. Yeah. So they, so that when the auto throttle deactivates, that's crazy though. It's full. Like though, to think of when you come out of autopilot, it just stays going. Well, yeah, it's in the last position you left it in. Yeah. But I guess, okay. Hmm. So I don't want to say too much more because I'm going to start spoiling what actually happened. Okay. But that's the purpose of, that auto, that call out, I said, that there's a voice in the cockpit that says, retard, retard, like to pull back the, the throttles. That's your reminder, like, oh, right, got to pull the throttles back. So about seven seconds after the nose gear touched the runway, the pilots perceived the airplane was not decelerating. And you hear on the cockpit voice recorder, the second in command shouting, slow down, slow down. Two seconds later, they applied maximum deflection on the brake pedals of the aircraft. This procedure, however, was not enough to stop the airplane because... As They're would, still thrusting. As we say, yeah, the right engine is accelerating and the left engine's reversing, so the, it kind of forces the aircraft to veer to the left. Yeah, plus the their reverse thrusters not working. God, there's a lot going on here. There is so much going on here, Chris. <laughs> so one of the hypotheses considered in the investigation was that the pilot may have attempted to perform a procedure that was no longer used at the time of the accident for landing with an inoperative thrust reverser. See, that's what I asked. That was my question at the beginning was, was he, was he compensating for the... Not- right. I didn't, I didn't want to spoil too much. Okay. So this old procedure consisted of pulling back both levers to the idle position right when the airplane begins to flare about 10 feet above the runway. Then mm-hmm. after touching down, activating only the reverser available, maintaining the thrust lever of the other engine in the idle position. So the, just to recap, this old procedure was... 
when you're just about to touch down, pull both engines to idle, and then only, you know, move your hand over to the one reverser that's working and only pull it and activate that one thrust reverser. Hmm. But but it didn't say you keep the thruster going on the other one. Correct. Which also wouldn't make sense because it was the wrong side. Okay. Correct. So that was the old procedure. The new procedure, which should have been used at the time, was pull both engines to idle and then activate the thrust reverser on both of them, even though one of them's not working. Which, yeah, it makes sense just so that you don't ever not activate right. your muscle memories as such. You always activate them both. Exactly. There's no reason not to. So that, that old procedure, uh, though being more efficient from a braking perspective, could induce the crew to making mistakes, like you said, muscle memory, as there were several reports of occurrences in which there was a wrong setting of the levers, motivating the manufacturer to establish a new procedure months before the accident. So this new procedure had only been in use and in effect for a couple of months. So they're trying to figure this out. They're like, maybe the pilot who was flying forgot to pull them both back to idle. He thought, I'm just going to activate the thrust reverser on this one and he pulled mm. only that one to idle and then activated that reverser oh. instead of pulling them both back to idle. Like he was in his, because he was, oh, I'm only going to be using this one because it's the only one that's working. Right. And then mistakenly didn't pull them both to idle, just the just the left one. Right, yeah. because mm. there's the aviation crisis going on. He's worried about the water on the runway. He knows this is a difficult airport to land on. There's a lot of things maybe potentially going through his mind at the time. I also wonder, and as you might get into this, are, are pilots particularly overworked right now because of the crisis and the, and the strikes? It's definitely making things difficult. Things are in chaos. I don't know if you remember, we all, one of the things we also talked about at the time when we did that, go, that other episode, Brazil, at the time, their, their air traffic control was kind of run by the Air Force. <laughs> so that other accident kind of spurred the move to have the air traffic control system not run by the Air Force. Uh, okay, so yeah, I, there, yeah. Th- yeah. There was a lo- there was a big period of transition happening in Brazilian aviation at this time. So, there, yes, I would say they were under a lot of stress because of uh, all the changes that are happening. Hmm. So an investigation by the Brazilian Public Safety Ministry concluded that the pilots mistakenly left the lever for the right engine to climb power upon landing due to a mistake in the landing procedures with the right thrust reverser being disabled from prior maintenance, when in fact it was necessary to retard both engines in order for the spoilers to work. The spoilers, you know, um, they're like little flaps that come up on the wings to stop the wings from generating lift when you touch down. Yeah, the little flappies. Like in a car, I'm thinking about a car, it's the thing that's on the trunk that like sticks out like a little... Yeah. It pushes the air down. On a car, it pushes the air down, yes. On a plane... It's, it spoils the airflow. That's why it's called. It spoils the airflow over the wing so that there's not lift. If you look, if you look out the window at the wing on a plane when you land, it's the little flaps that come pointing up from the top of the wing uh, once you touch down. And because it spoils lift, the wings aren't lifting. It puts more weight down on the tires so that the braking works better. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, because it makes sense. Right. It's not, lift, it's not lifting the weight up onto the wings. It's forcing it down. Probably something most people don't think about. They also said the National Civil Aviation Agency should have closed the airport on the night the plane landed because of those heavy rains. And Congonius Airport authorities shared the blame because its runway had not been properly constructed with grooves to drain away the excess rainwater contributing to the crash. So are you saying they should have shut down the airport entirely regardless just because of the rain or because of the rain and because they didn't do the grooves? Does that make sense? Like, was there so much rain they should have just like called the whole th- like air- airport shut down entirely? 
Correct. I believe even the one, I believe my interpretation of it is that even grooves notwithstanding, they should have shut down the airport because of the heavy winds. Oh, man, there's so many. There's there's so much, Chris. That's why this was a huge <laughs> report. They also said the that Airbus should have provided alarms warning the pilots that the braking system was failing and that TAM failed to properly train its pilots who did not act correctly in the emergency. And you say the brakes weren't working correctly. That's because of the, the water. Because of water and because the number two engine was still giving full thrust. Like there should have been some kind of alarm letting them know brakes are, brakes are not working. And then they could quickly try to real, try to figure out what's going on. So like I said earlier, there were two hypotheses for the accident. The first one was that there was a flaw in the power control of the plane's engines, which would have kept one of the thrust reversers in acceleration, regardless of actual position. Like I said, in this scenario, they say that maybe the captain did pull both throttles down to idle, but that the number two engine, it didn't work for some reason. Even though he had pulled it to idle, maybe it had gone up to climb power. However, this scenario would implicate mechanical failure of the aircraft as the cause of the accident. The likelihood of this kind of failure occurring is calculated at once per 400 billion flight hours. Hmm. And therefore was highly improbable. Because of the post-crash fire, it was difficult to examine the parts of the plane to figure this out. So they couldn't 100% rule it out but they ruled it out by one billion through whatever <laughs> one in 400 billion yeah, okay well yeah one in 400 <laughs> that's astronomical but so you're telling me there's a chance <laughs> right but we have co- remember we covered incidents in the past where like yeah crazy improbable things happened like when the thrust reverser activated on that one plane as they were taking off oh yeah yeah they were, they were like that shouldn't happen it's like a one in six i forget what it was like a one in six billion flight hour chance but it happens yeah, and that was almost the opposite of this. Right. <laughs> the second hypothesis was the pilot performed the procedure different from that provided in the manual and put the thrust lever in an irregular position. And this scenario would implicate human error as the cause of the accident. And this second scenario is the one I talked about where didn't pull the other engine down to idle and instead it went up to um, climb power. In addition to the positions of the thrust levers, the report points to several factors that may have contributed to the accident, such as a high volume of rain on the day with the formation of puddles on the runway, as well as the absence of grooving. The report does not blame the length of the runway for the accident. The BEA also cleared Airbus of any misdoing because they had proposed a system warning modification regarding the incorrect thrust lever position that TAM had rejected. So the manufacturer had suggested a modification that would alert pilots if there was an incorrect thrust lever position, but the airline said they didn't need it. Wow. So they were saying, hey, we want to go into the plane and change it so it like, does give a warning. And right. they're like, nah, 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 don't worry about it. Right. Which is good for Airbus because yeah, otherwise Airbus they would... Like, they, hey. they would. Yeah, they, we, 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 tried to, we tried to do an update. We tried to tell you. <laughs> Man, I bet you the guy at Airbus was so happy that he, they had sent that email <laughs> or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, that, that alert. Who knows? Man. Okay, so... Like I said at the beginning, there was, uh, you know, there were criminal charges placed against some people. Yeah. It seems like half of the airline industry in Brazil. (laughs) Right. Like who, who do you lay the blame at? So in 2011, the Brazilian Federal Public Ministry or MPF, you hear me say MPF, it's the Brazilian Federal Public Ministry, uh, laid criminal charges against Denise Abreu, who is the director of the Brazilian National Civil Aviation Agency. Oh, is that like the top? Right, person? it would be like the director of the FAA in the United Whoa. States. Whoa, and criminal charges, not just yes. like, wow, that's like purposeful negligence, right? Right, and they also laid charges against two former 
CAM directors, uh, directors from the airline. Marco Aurelio dos Santos de Miranda, who's a director of flight safety, and Alberto Fajerman, Fajerman, vice president of operations. They were accused of neglecting air transport safety by allowing the aircraft to land in heavy rain on the notoriously short, recently resurfaced runway before cutting of grooves to channel away excess rainwater. So these are the three people that have criminal charges against them. Because they all knew about the incomplete runway and the rain and said, go, go for it. Right, or they didn't do anything to stop it. To stop it's not it. that they necessarily okay. said, go for it. You know, it's not mm. like they said, can we land this plane to these people? It's just these people had, through their actions, allowed this, this is, yeah. scenario to, to happen. The trial began in Sao Paulo. Or at least I should say that's what the criminal charges allege. The, okay, and, and it was just, just them? Yes, it was okay. those three people. It wasn't... Well, before we get to that, why was the thruster not working? Why was the thruster not working? I don't, uh, I don't know. It was just a known maintenance issue on this plane. Like, why wasn't it working in the first place? Yeah. I don't know. It was just a maintenance issue. But as you said, it's not a maintenance issue that should normally... Yeah, totally be, fine. Be, yeah. Totally fine. They, like I said, they even had a specific procedure for landing like mm. this. Not, not an issue. The trial began in Sao Paulo in 2013. And in 2014, MPF withdrew the charges against Fahermand for lack of evidence. That was the vice president of operations at TAM. And what are they charged with explicitly? They were accused of neglecting air transport safety by allowing the aircraft to land in heavy rain on the, on the runway. So like negligence, criminal negligence. Yeah. There was a second charge against Abreu, who was the director of the National Civil Aviation Agency. There's a second charge against her of documentary falsehood. Oh, yeah, which was dismissed in November of 2014. And as of the most recent update I could see was as of March 2015, no judgment had been handed down on the other charges. So I think as far as I could tell, nothing happened. I tried to find another update and I really couldn't find any more information. So it seems like no one was convicted of anything in this incident. It just kept, but they weren't cleared of innocence. I, I couldn't find any, that, that was the most recent update I could find. So I don't know if it's still trudging its way through the legal system or if, it just kind of got resolved and never really publicized. Wow. So the airport reopened July 19th, 2007, using an alternative runway. And many flights, including all Ocean Air and BRA Transportes Eros, were transferred to a different airport, Guarulhos International Airport in Sao Paulo, uh, due to the closure of the main runway at Congonias and the ongoing investigation. On July 20th, Presidency Chief of Staff Dilma Rousseff announced plans to significantly reduce the number of flights operating at Congonias. The plan included banning within 60 days all connections, stopover, charter, and international flights, and the reduction in the number of private jets. The airport would only operate direct flights to certain cities in Brazil. The plan also called for a study of the expansion of Sao Paulo's two current airports and the construction of a third airport in the metropolitan area. So this incident pretty much, uh, how can I say it? ended this airport the airport wow. still exists but it's not used to the same frequency that it was before yeah because you, you kept saying it used to be the yeah <laughs> yeah that's it, definitely not the case anymore there are other airports that have taken over and are busier okay so i, I got to the the facts that were found in the report there are a lot of them i'm going to try to i'm going to kind of try to speed run them a little bit because we already covered most of these both pilots had valid medical certificates both pilots had Valid technical qualification certificates, so they were qualified to fly. Both pilots, the next one, both pilots were qualified <laughs> and had necessary experience to conduct the flight. Aircraft had valid registration, airworthiness certificate. Maintenance services were considered periodic and appropriate, so no maintenance issues, even though the reverser wasn't working. 
Starting with the departure from Porto Alegre up to the landing at Gonias, the aircraft had been within the limits of weight and balance. The aircraft had the number two engine reverser deactivated in accordance with the procedures established in the MEL. The MEL is the minimum equipment list. All, well, not all planes. Like any airline plane you fly has a minimum equipment list. It's just like a long list of things that need to be working on the plane. So even with the number two reverser not working, they were still in compliance with the minimum equipment list. Okay. The parameters with which the aircraft was dispatched were within the operational envelope of the aircraft. The growth of the operator accentuated the effects of the lack of coordination amongst its diverse sectors, hindering the oversight at all management levels. So the airline was growing kind of fast, which kind of maybe reduced their oversight. Yeah. Preventative tools were not well utilized by the operator. The operator's maintenance control system allowed postponing corrective actions without an appropriate evaluation of the risk relative to the association of failures. The operator was not able to retrieve all copies of the maintenance records destroyed in the accident. The communication of recurrent failures and malfunctioning was not being done regularly to Civil Aviation Authority. So they had had some maintenance issues that had been kind of kicked down the road a little bit. Again, probably growing pains. Yeah. Prevailing meteorological conditions along the route and destination were what were known to the crew. I guess they couldn't 100% say that it was the you know pilot error, but how much of the blame, I guess, was put on that versus all the other stuff, like the runway and the rain and... It's hard to say. Let me actually, that, let me read this next one because it kind of plays into that. Okay. Actually, let me read these next couple because it kind of plays into that. The flight data recorder did not record any movement of the thrust lever or engine number two from the moment it was positioned at climb level up to the collision of the aircraft. Oh. The landing occurred with one of the thrust levers at idle position and the other one was uh, registered by the flight data recorder as being at the CL position, climb power. The positioning of the number two thrust lever in the CL while the number one engine thrust lever was in idle determined the variation of parameters of the first engine in trying to maintain the speed previously selected. After the landing, there was neither deflection of the ground spoilers nor activation of the auto brake. So there are clear problems here. I think they can't definitively give it a percentage like it's X percent the pilot's fault, X percent the runway or airport's fault because they all kind of play into each other. And in fact, they can't even say 100% it was the pilot. They, they do say there is another scenario, the one in 400 billion flight hours chance that the thrust lever wasn't working properly. That being said, I think they do still blame the crew. I said they did blame the crew for not reacting appropriately in the emergency. Yeah, I guess even if you said that one in 400 billion, they had a cockpit recorder. They probably, they might've said something, right? Like it's not working, or right? That's the, another deductive thing they could possibly have concluded reason they could have said it was the pilots because they didn't say anything about it not working or, right 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 I, I, that, that makes sense uh approximately six seconds after touchdown of the main gear the first activation of the brakes through the pedals occurred and reached maximum deflection five seconds later for the conditions of operation with an inoperative reverser wet runway positioning of a thrust lever in reverse and the other in climb a distance of more than 2,000 meters would be necessary for a complete stop of the aircraft without considering the thrust provided by the number two engine. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it would, uh, they needed a much longer runway in order to do this. Mm. If, if, it, if it was even possible at all. And that's, that's with the wet runway, but not factoring in the... Uh, the thrust from the other engine. The thrust, the extra yeah. thrust. So right. even, even without the thrust air, they would have had an issue. Right, because exactly. there were other planes having issues, and then hitting a plane crashed just the day before. So yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, the criminal negligence, they had issues the day before and they right. still they, didn't they kept going. Yeah. Just for reference, that runway that they landed on, 35 left, uh-huh. it was 1,940 meters long. So it was even without Ooh. accounting for the thrust of the number two engine, it was 60 meters too short. Mm. The thrust reverser of the A320 can only be activated when the aircraft is on the ground with both right and left landing gear dampers compressed. A channel of the full authority digital engine control is operating according to the reverse signal of the corresponding thrust lever and a signal of the thrust lever angle being validated by at least one spoiler elevator computer. All that to be said, the reverse can only be activated when they're on the ground and there's weight on the landing gear, like pushing down, just to prevent it deploying in the air. Mm. That's just a technical thing. It, uh, yeah. it won't deploy. Oh, that's cool. Like a, yeah. like a, a safety type thing. Yeah, to prevent like, like that other incident we were talking about where yeah. it deployed in the air. The A320 power control system, even with the airplane on the ground, with the number one engine thrust lever in the reverse position, with the ground spoilers armed, with the auto brake selected, and with the application of maximum braking pressure on the pedals, gave priority to the thrust lever in the climb position. So even though they were trying to brake and they had the reverser on, like the logic of the plane still allowed that the number two engine to be in the climb position. So it's just saying maybe there's, it's just, I, that's just for information, but it's maybe that's like a learning moment. Like maybe if brakes are being applied and the thrust reverser is out, you, the system should not allow the other engine to be at climb power. Yeah. I guess that's one of those tr- things that's always complicated too, though, because what do you automate and what do you not automate? Right. And also, who would have thought this scenario was possible? <laughs> or, or, yeah, who would, yeah, who would have thought that someone would do this? this right way? when you're, yeah, when you're designing the software and writing out the logic and the flow chart, like where does this play in? You know, it's just this weird set of circumstances. No errors in the flight data recorder. No failures in the full authority digital engine control. No failures in the thrust control unit. No failures in the activating rod, which connects the artificial field unit to the TCU or its connection. The AFU artificial field unit is the the linkage that connects the thrust levers, like the power levers, to the system so that it interprets how much thrust to be giving in the engines. So they're saying there was no failure in that. It was not possible to discard a mechanical failure of the activating rod, which connects the thrust lever to the AFU, or a failure of the AFU unit itself. So they're saying even though there was no failure in that rod, they cannot 100% say that there wasn't a failure in that AFU, which would have caused the thrust lever to not respond properly. Yeah. That's the one in 400 billion flight hour thing we talked about before. The pilot in command... I told you there were a lot of facts in this (laughs) one. We're still still going. The pilot in command knew the prescribed procedure for landing with an inoperative thrust reverser. The pilot in command during the descent complained he had a headache. Oh. Just anecdotal, right? Yeah, just a little thing. Just Human factors. Yeah. Uh, the second in command's experience as a co-pilot was limited to right seat certification training. Uh, not a big deal, I don't think. In this particular aircraft, there was no alerting system to warn the pilots of an inappropriate setting of the thrust levers. That's the thing Airbus had asked them about before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The retard auto callout during the flight did not comply with the function to which it was designed. Since it stopped sounding when one of the thrust levers was at reverse position and the other was at climb. So they're saying that the auto callout stopped when only one engine was put into reverse oh. and idle. When really it should have been still sounding because one was not all the way back at idle. Yeah, or been like, you're missing one of them. <laughs> right. The A320 manuals have lots of pages that are hard to consult, mainly during the flight. Congonius Airport was not certified at the time of the accident in accordance with RBHA 139. That's just, 
I, I assume that's, you know, that's a Brazilian law. I assume that's having to do with the grooving on the runway surface. Mm-hmm. No special airport inspection was made during the works conducted at Congonias Airport, completed in 2007. The main runway of Congonias presented during a long time a low coefficient of friction and irregularities on its surface, which favored the accumulation of water, saying there were problems with the runway that caused puddling. Yeah, it was lacking in rugosity. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On June 29th, 2007, the operations of the main runway of Congonias were resumed after the completion of the pavement repair work. But before the grooving was made, there was no rain precipitation during operations in Congonias between June 29th and July 14th, 2007. Congonias Airport operated under rain on the days of July 15th, 16th, and 17th, 2007. So mm-hmm. they, had, they had been lucky, is what it's getting down to, mm. that it hadn't rained for a long time. <laughs> and then <laughs> it started raining for a few days in a row leading up to this accident. Mm. You mentioned earlier, like, the, the, the camera the security camera said like, oh, it normally takes a plane nine seconds or was it six seconds? Yeah, it was nine to- seconds. Okay. And then they did it in three? Yeah. Right? What? How much time passed between them touching down to hitting the uh, gas station? So they touched down at 648 and 26 seconds and they hit the building at 648 and 50 seconds. So it was 24 seconds. Wow. So... How, how much time normally does it take from touching down to just stopping? Uh, I don't know. Um, on a plane that big, I mean, if you think about when you've landed uh-huh. on a plane, you know, it, it's not like it happens. It's not like it takes several minutes, but it doesn't, yeah. it takes longer than 24 seconds. <laughs> you know, yeah. you slowly decelerate and come to a stop. It might take yeah. a minute, maybe, if that. Yeah, but uh, they, 24 seconds is really fast. So, yeah, they hit that gas station going fast. Yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah. I'm just trying to. It's one of those things when you think about, like, oh, well, they landed and that, like, were went through the whole run, but they didn't. Yeah, but yeah, that's all the facts, and that's that's it. I mean, that's uh, Tam thirty fifty four. Like I said, this created a huge report because I guess mainly because of the criminal aspect. It was the like I said, a thirteen thousand six hundred page police report going into it. Just so much, and like we discovered here, there was a lot going on. It's not just the fact that there was a thrust reverser not working. It's not just the fact that it was raining. It's not just the fact that there were no grooves on the yeah. runway. There were so many things that all came together that ended up with this uh, with this awful accident. Yeah, that, that's this is wild. This is wild. How many things there are? You know, that just goes to show again. We say this all the time: how safe air travel typically is. You know, so many mm-hmm. things have to line up and go wrong for. A tragedy to happen and unfortunately you know this happened here but you know they took action you know the, this airport really is not used the same way it was before i'm sure brazilian law has been amended so that grooves yeah. need to be cut in uh before runways are reopened and a lot has been learned you know at this time during the brazilian aviation crisis uh they really underwent a lot of change and uh, things really have gotten a lot better yeah but that's it for tam 3054 really really Terrible. We'll we'll post some uh some stuff on social media. I'll see if I can find a way to get those videos onto social media so you can see uh exactly how fast the plane went through uh the security camera footage. Yeah, I'd be curious to see that and just see kind of like the I, I while we while we were looking at I was looking up like a overhead kind of like diagram of the runway and the gas station. I thought that was oh interesting. yeah. So maybe I'll post I'll post that as well. Yeah, I, I would I would like this is. I'm finishing up, but I want to thank everyone. We had a lot of new people sign up for the premium or first class Black Box Down experience recently. And I think that's, we released some premium content for the people who's 
subscribe and help support us. And we say thank you for all the pe- new people who signed up. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It, yeah. uh, help, it helps uh, when you directly support the podcast, this podcast like that. And it, it, that's at blackboxdownpod.com if you want more info. It's like, mm-hmm. Or you can look in Spotify or Apple mm-hmm. Podcasts. It should be right in app. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. We'll be back next week with another episode. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye.